Welcome to Ride Over Stride, episode 47. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis, a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm here this fine Texas morning with Master Horseman Van Hargis. How you doing, Van? Hey, Laura, I'm just super, thank you. And you know what? You're right. It is a fine Texas morning, isn't it? It's just beautiful. I, I don't know what it is up there where you guys are, but down here in South Texas, it's just wonderful today. I mean, it's it's just amazing. Um, we've actually had such a mild winter. Springs has been phenomenal. And then I, I just actually can't get can't get, wait until we get done today because I'm going to go out and do a bunch of riding because today's just like one of those perfect Texas days, perfect blue skies. Yeah. The wind's not blowing too hard down here. And you know, I get a question a lot of times, Laura, whenever we travel different places. For example, we just finished a, a horse expo up in Oregon. It just went absolutely wonderful. The participants up there were great. The The best thing about going to that particular event, that's the first time I've been back to Oregon for that event, probably in, well, I, I don't know exactly, but it's been well over 10 years. So many horse expos over the last several years, really since about 2008, have had a very difficult time because, you know, the economy crunch and a lot of those places were just negatively affected by the economy. And because, you know, most people, for 93% of the people out there, the horse industry is a li- literally a luxury type industry for them. It's yeah. it's just a hobby. So you know how hobbies are. You know, whenever times get tight, the hobby things kind of go on the back burner. And because of that, some of these expos just couldn't keep their doors open. Vendors couldn't afford to go because people weren't buying anything. A lot of folks weren't traveling as much to go to the horse expos. But I'm so proud to say that this horse expo up there not only survived that crunch, but it really thrived. It really did well. A guy by the name of John Chloe and his wonderful wife do that particular event um, for the Oregon folks. And it, it's it's just really good to see those types of events not just survive, but actually thrive. So it was very, very good to go up there to that one and see it. But while we were there, you couldn't have asked for the conditions to be any better for a horse expo. And what I mean by that is, is that it was a little bit rainy not so bad that people couldn't travel, but too bad for them to be outside. <laughs> so, you know, the horse folks were just like, you know, they still want to go do horsey things. So, man, they flocked to the expo. So we had a huge crowd there. Every clinic that we did was, was uh, I mean, it's, the, the stands were full. The, the people participated. The people that were actually involved in the clinic, because sometimes we'll have riders in the clinic as if it's like a little mini clinic that the audience can watch. And uh, the riders were wonderful. I mean, everybody was very well prepared. It was just a just a really fun event. But while we were there, people were asking, you know, what was it like, you know, in Texas when you guys left? Well, <laughs> when we left to go up there, when we left Austin, Texas, it was like 90 degrees. But it wasn't like one of those really hot 90 degree days. It was, I guess the humidity wasn't all that high, but it was just beautiful weather. And so the question that I get some, from so many people is, why do so many trainers go to Texas? You know, and literally from all over the country and, and sometimes even different parts of the world, they come to here. Well, there's why. I mean, it may be hot, but for the most part, the climate is just almost ideal, you know, for the horse training industry. You know, like in our case, especially down here in South Texas, unless it's actually raining or storming at the moment, we just don't miss a day working with our horses. It's just the the weather's never really one of those issues that throws us out of out of commission. 
I, I guess I'm saying all that just to say this. We're just so incredibly blessed by, you know, by having that opportunity to be down here. And, and, uh, and, you know, if the worst thing we have to deal with is a little bit of heat, then it's just wonderful. And, and there's I, ways you can work around that. You, you know, oh, you work yeah. in the early morning or you work in the later evening or, or whatever. But, Absolutely. but you're right. There are few days that those who like to ride or who ride for a living can't get out there and do it in Texas, right. even through the winter. Yes, absolutely. Well, so. the one thing that we're going to start doing, uh, hopefully by the end of this coming summer, a uh, matter of fact, we just finalized some other agreements with that just recently. And, and you know, this is something that I've been shooting for for a long time is to be able to accommodate people on the ranch. So we're going to have some cabins done. We're having a dormitory type situation done. And we're going to literally be, be inviting people from all over the world to come and spend time with us and ride with us, both on an instructional deal, but at the same time, just to come out and get away, enjoy horsemanship, camaraderie, and get out of maybe the nasty weather situations we're, that, that, that they're experiencing. For example, we had a guy come in from New York earlier this year, come and spent some time with us. When he escaped New York, they, were, they had just received, I don't know how many inches exactly, but a lot of snow on the ground. And it just made it almost impossible for him to do anything outside with his horse. And he came down and spent time with us and just absolutely loved the conditions. So we're going to open up those wonderful weather conditions and weather uh, opportunities for people to come and, and ride with us and stay with us on the ranch. I just, we're looking really forward to that. Well, that's pretty exciting. I'm sure we'll be talking more about that in, as time goes on and, and uh, your facilities get more ready. But, but that's pretty cool. Okay, well, all that's a freebie. <laughs> that wasn't even on the agenda for this episode. So I see from the handy dandy outline that we shared in, in preparing for these episodes that you want to talk about a question regarding whether a horse's rank in the herd affects its responsiveness to the, to the rider, to the trainer. So what's that all about, Van? Well, the, the reality is, is that horses, you know, they, they live in a herd, obviously, and, and, and here's the weird thing. Our domestic horses, believe it or not, folks, still live in a herd. There is still that herd mentality. So we have to think about that. I oftentimes, Laura, also get the question about horses that stay in boarding facilities and that stay stalled the majority of the time. And um, I really have a big sympathy for those type of horses because, see, they're denied that herd instinct. Uh, and oftentimes that creates, what I just said, herd anxiety meaning that they're just thriving for it. They're looking for that, that interaction with each other. And we as humans, we really make poor substitutes for that. It's not that we can't. We have to establish ourselves as a leader. But the reality is the horses are always kind of on that fluctuation of where they stand in the herd. And where they stand oftentimes affects the way that perhaps our approach to training them. For example, if, you, if we ever had the opportunity to go out and just watch horses on either a really, really large ranch where horses are out kind of doing their own thing, interacting as naturally as they possibly can in their setting. And if we can watch that very objectively, and that's the key thing, don't read anything into it. Just watch it with a clear and open mind and just watch what they do and take note of what they do. And what you'll notice is, is as peaceful as it is when horses are just eating and grazing and carrying on with their normal day-to-day -day horse activity, there's a lot going on. And the lot going on is just little hints of communication. And let's say it's a, her a herd of 20. Those horses will rank in that herd of 20 and oftentimes several little bitty groups. So they will be like your older broodmares. And out of that little group of older broodmares, there's going to be a leader. 
And let's say out of, out of 20 horses total, there might be three or four that are the older broodmares. And in those three or four, they'll rank from one to four. And then there'll be another little group, maybe a little bit younger group of mares, say three, four, five-year-old mares. And, and let's say there's three or four of those. Those horses will rank underneath the older broodmares, but they'll rank from, say, one to four. So there's all those little bitty herd things going on and then little sub-herd things going on. Now, if we know that and we're aware of that and we can learn to read that, then when it comes time for us to train them, it doesn't matter where they rank amongst each other. All it matters really is that we rank above them. However, we can oftentimes adjust our assertiveness based on where the herd is or where that horse is in their herd dynamic. Now, I don't want anybody to put too much emphasis on that and, and waste too much time trying to figure out where they are and, and be too overly concerned about it. Or the thing that's most important for us to concern ourselves with is where do we rank? You see, and that's where the exercise of leadership really comes in. We really have to step up to the plate and be that horse's leader. And it doesn't mean we have to be mean and harsh and kicky and, and snappy with a horse and, you know, have that attitude that, by golly, I'll show you who's boss. What it really means is, is that we just very consistently display leadership skills. We make decisions, we follow through those decisions, and we make those in our herd follow those decisions. If we're always changing our mind, well, let's go over here, horse. Oh, never mind. Let's just go over here instead. Oh, you want to go over there? Let's go where you want to go. If you do that, then suddenly you're kind of knocking yourself off that leadership herd or off that leadership role, and it's going to empower your horse to start challenging you. Because the horse will oftentimes say, well, if you're not going to be the leader, then I will. Or on the other end of the scale, the direct opposite of that scale, if you've got a horse that's really, really passive and the horse that really has no interest at all in being the herd leader because they lack confidence in themselves or lack confidence in their environment, um, then that'll really scare those horses. So the horses that are really flighty and worried, oftentimes that's symptomatic of them not being uh, at a prepared, I guess you could say, for a leadership role. And their attitude is more like, well, if you're not going to be the leader and I'm not going to be the leader, oh my God, who's leading? <laughs> so they're on a heightened alert looking for the predators or any other threat that, that could harm them. So it's really hard for them to relax and, and be calm and quiet when they're on that heightened alert status. Well, I'd like to understand a little bit more about that balance between that you kind of alluded to between being what I would call aggressive and being the leader. How do you demonstrate that confidence and that leadership to the horse without doing what I, and I've, I've seen people do it and no offense guys, but it seems like it's more often men that get very aggressive and pushy and kind of domineering to show that they're the leader. And, and you, you were saying that's not what we should be doing. So how, how do, what's the difference? How do we demonstrate the difference? Well, it's not that we, it's not, what we have to do. It's just that that, that to me, the, uh, the over assertiveness, the aggression, so to speak, that mm -hmm. to me is always on the, that's always the low man on the totem pole option for me. I mean, that's, that's always a last resort. However, um, there, you know, you've heard me say this before, squeeze, bump, kick and kill. Ask, suggest, tell and insist. In other words, we want to kind of go in, in those little bitty easy steps. And the reason why, of course, is that that's the way horses do it. So, and, and you're right though. I'm going to, not that I'm knocking my own gender, but you're right. Men tend to be a little bit quicker to go to that more aggressive thing. And that's just by nature too, isn't it? You know, you got the hunter gatherer and the men tend to be the more aggressive hunter type deal. 
we tend to be a little bit more assertive, a little bit more aggressive. That's good. And it's actually very, very good to know that about ourselves. Because if we know that we're a very aggressive type personality, for example, I am, I'll be the first to tell people I'm very assertive, very aggressive. But when it comes to my horses, I've learned to control those emotions. I've learned to to make myself, if you will, exercise starting off by maybe just making a, a little bitty suggestion as to what I want from the horse. Just open up the idea of what I want from the horse. And then as a, as a result, you just start escalating up whenever you do not get a response that's favorable. So it's really been, for me, it's been a great exercise almost my entire life. Part of that is because, yes, I'm a male. I have testosterone flowing through my veins. And the, the other thing is, is I'm uh, competitive by nature. And the other thing is that I had a really poor example growing up. My, my stepfather was a very aggressive person to everything that lived. I mean, he just, he kicked everything's butt. And so when it come to the horses, he might ask them to do something, but immediately he went from one extreme to that more aggressive extreme. So the balance for us is simple. How we exercise that, because see, some people, you as an example, remember when you were working with you, I had to get you to, to be more assertive. Yeah. It was almost as if you thought, well, I don't want to hurt the horse's feelings. And of <laughs> course, my attitude is, is that, yeah, but if you don't get some sort of response, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. It's, and you know, and, I, and I, you know, looking back, I recognize that what my requests, you know, when I would try to give a direction to a horse, it really was really more of a question. Well, would you like to do this? Um, as opposed to you should do this. And right. that was a hard lesson for me to learn. But but I, I didn't want to go clear to the other extreme. And maybe the maybe the balance is found in not acting out of emotion because it seems like a lot of times people who are trying to get their horses to do something and the horse maybe is not initially cooperating, they they let things go until it makes them mad and then they act out of that anger because they're fr- or their frustration. Exactly. You know, it kind of goes back to that same thing too to where and you've heard me say this before about, you know, the horse that drag somebody off underneath the tree. Yeah. And of course, my question always is, well, how did he get to the tree? <laughs> so, you know, but when you do get to the tree, you want to get off, get angry and then cuss the horse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's not the time to be assertive after the fact, yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't get angry after the accident. We should have done whatever it took to prevent the accident in the first yeah. place. Just be keenly aware. But see, that's the good thing about the horsemanship, in my opinion, that, that creates an opportunity for us to balance that. It balances that to where, you know, we all have peaks and valleys, but just like in business, you know, you don't want all, you don't want to always be going up and down, up and down, up and down. What you really want is steadiness. And that's what horses look for in us as well. Because see, if we are constantly going up and up and down in our emotions and, and well, what kind of a leader am I going to be today? Well, I think I'm going to be pretty passive because I had a really bad morning and I'm tired and I didn't drink enough coffee this morning. So uh, let's just take it easy with the horses. And then the next day you go out, maybe you had too much coffee, maybe you had a really bad night. Before you know it, you go out to the barn, you want everything done right now. And it's, it's just any response you get is not good enough. So you're, again, what I'm saying is, is that you, you're, you're at those different peaks and valleys and the horse is going, oh my God, who's coming to the barn today? Is it going to be good Laura, bad Laura? You know, the hyper Laura the, or the passive Laura? Which one is it going to be today? And if you think about it, that doesn't, even for us, for those of us who have worked for bosses before, you want that boss to be kind of steady, dependable. That guy that's that's always making the good decisions on everybody's behalf, not just one or two, and especially not just his. He's looking out for everyone, and and he's pre- almost predictable because when you have that, you see, there's you know what to expect. 
And that way, whenever something out of the ordinary happens, you can be better prepared for that because you know now that something out of the ordinary, it needs a more attentive response. You know, in other words, it, it, it needs more attention. That was sort of a sidetrack, I guess, to get back to where, where I veered us off. You were talking about if, if on the other extreme, we're not taking leadership and the horse is not a, a, a horse that's inclined to take leadership. You were saying that that's, you know, that puts the horse in a difficult position. And you were starting to tell us why, why is that difficult for this horse? If you're not being the leader and they're, they're they don't want to be the leader, who's going to be the leader? Why is that difficult for the horse? Well, because the horse needs, that needs leadership. It needs something around it that will tell it what to do. Okay. You know, do we need to run or can we just relax and eat? You know, do we okay. need to, do we need, do we need to move on? Do we need to find water or can we just continue to eat? So it, it just eases that horse's mind to know that somebody else has the reins, so to speak. And so uh, it's so part the, of that survival instinct and the way they've developed over over eons. Right. Exactly. Yeah, okay. it, it, exactly. Right. So now let's bring the human back into that. And and the, the question, the original question was, is that, well, does a horse's rank in the herd affect its responsiveness to the owner or the trainer? And I will say yes, absolutely. You know, because if they are a low man on the totem pole, you're going to see some weird things that kind of confuse people. For example, I just helped the lady with this the other day. She bought a filly. It was obviously the, the, you could just tell by looking at it, it was the youngest horse in its little herd. And yet every time she went to go feed it, every time she went to catch it, every time she tried to do anything with it, the horse's first response toward her was to pin its ears as if it was kind of angry and, you know, kind of aggressive. But then if you, if you know what you're looking for, you could actually see in this horse that it was almost like a bluff. It was almost like a kid at school that's getting bullied, that kind of wants to act tough. But the minute the bully even begins to look at him wrong, he cows down. And so what happens is, is that the, these horses are so used to being picked on by the other horses that now all of a sudden here's a new horse. You, the owner, the trainer, the, the handler comes into the picture. And the horse says, you know, by golly, I, I don't know who you are, but I'm going to see if I can't bluff you to see if I can at least be above you. You see, so the horse kind of fakes a challenge. Well, we need to be able to recognize that. That's why I tell people, you need to know where your horse ranks in the herd, but don't make such a big deal out of it that you distract you from you being the leader. Because no matter where the horse ranks, you have to be the leader. But at the same time, I don't want to punish the horse because she's pinning her ears at me when... Uh, and when I say punish, I don't want to be over aggressive at her because if she is the low man on the totem pole, I'm only going to increase her sensitivity. I'm not going to help that horse gain confidence in herself or in me or even in her place in the herd. If I'm over aggressive to her, I'm just going to beat her down. So again, I'm going to take the kid that's been in, that's been bullied in school and I'm going to bully him too. You see what I mean? So it, I don't want to do that to the horse. So I just need to kind of watch and observe and start reading those signs, uh, where that horse ranks. And, and then begin to establish myself as its leader. Now, on the other end of the scale, what if I've got a horse, though, that, that is pretty aggressive, that really pins its ears and that really comes toward me and, and gets pretty aggressive as if it's saying to me, you know, I don't know who you are, but by golly, I'm going to, I'm going to kick your butt. And I'm going to be the leader. Well, with that horse, we've really got to stand tall as well. We've got to be more aggressive, more assertive with that horse to make sure that we are holding our ground. And I'm going to describe exactly what I mean by holding my ground. Doesn't mean I've got to go beat the horse up. Doesn't mean I've got to be aggressive to it or anything else. It just means that where that horse is concerned, I do have to create a bubble around myself, that bubble of safety, 
And under no circumstance do I want that horse to see me yield away out of my bubble. And at the same time, I don't want to see that horse invade my bubble. He's not allowed to come in it. So by me holding my ground like that, I'm planting those seeds of doubt in that horse as to whether or not it's going to be the leader and it's going to be planting those seeds that I am its leader. And then gradually when I start doing my, my, my training with that particular horse, I know too that I want to start off the same way. In other words, I want to start off by being very subtle, as soft and as light as I can with every command or, or every request that I have of the horse. But I need to be committed to escalating to whatever it takes to get the response that I want. So I, that's the key thing about being a horse owner is just knowing where your horse is, knowing your, letter, your level of assertiveness that you need to apply, and then be committed to p- apply whatever it takes to get done what you want what you want done. Go ahead. It sounds like that it's important information to have to kind of know where they rank in the herd, but it doesn't change the outcome that you want. No, not at all. Because bottom line is you got to go through those four questions. You know, what do I want? I just want the horse to, to lead beside me. Is that fair? Can the horse do that? And if it is, then you need to have that reasonable expectation for the horse to do it. That is, if you can communicate it. So that's the third question. Can you communicate what you want? And then lastly, of course, you'd measure that. Well, how'd the horse do? And so you, 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 we always need to practice those four questions because in practicing those four questions, you're not only practicing the leadership for yourself, but you're displaying leadership to, to your horse. You see, so, but again, regardless of what that situation is, we have to establish ourselves as the leader. Now, in the very beginning, whenever we're having a, a new relationship, I don't care if it's human or, or with horses, Remember a little while ago, we talked about those peaks and valleys? Well, no matter how steady you are, you're going to have those peaks and valleys. There might be some things that you want your horse to do that you can just barely hint that you want to do it, and the horse is going to respond. Then there's going to be other things that you want the horse to do, and you're going to have to be more assertive to get that done. Now, over time, the one that is the most consistent will end up being the leader. In other words, the one that stays more level and that seeks out that consistency and that commits to that consistency, regardless of the other one going up and down in the peaks and valleys, that one will rise to be the leader. And over time, as that relationship gets more and more established and and more consistent in time, it'll be what I call refinement of communication. And in that refinement of communication, the horse begins to know, man, if Laura asked me to do something, I better do it because if I don't, she's going to be persistent and she's going to be consistent until I do, so I might as well just go ahead and do it now. You see, so now suddenly the horse accepts you as its leader, and without question, you ask it to do something, and it does it with, with less and less motivation. And so as a result, over time, your relationship gets more consistent as well. So th- th- in other words, bottom line is know where your horse is in its rank in the herd, and then you very quickly and as passively as need be or as assertively as need be, you establish yourself as a leader, and then you work toward that refinement of communication over time. Seems to me that in order to do that, you really are going to have to, maybe this seems kind of elementary, but you really have to be, to have a purpose in mind when you when you go to work with your horse, at, you know, where, wherever they stand in the herd, in order to be the leader, you have to, ha- you have to be the one setting the agenda. And, and that means you have to have thought about it ahead of time when you go out there to work with your horse. What do I intend to accomplish today? Whether it's, you know, we're going to work on 
you know, flying lead changes, or we're going to just go for a nice quiet trail ride. The leader sets the agenda. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, here's the cool thing, too, about setting the agenda. I think it's awesome that we go to the arena, we go to the stall, whatever the words, whatever we're going to do with our horse, we go there with something to do and something to achieve today. Uh, let's like, for example, let's you, let's, like you said, let's say we're going to work on flying lead changes today. We're going to, we're going to work on flying lead changes. That's a great goal to have. Mm-hmm. Now, the difference though is, is that the horse may not be on the same agenda today. <laughs> he, for whatever reason, he might be having a bad day, might, might not be responding to your leg pressure, might not be as soft in the, in, in, on the reins and on the bridles you like. So even though you want to work on the flying lead changes, You've got to back yourself up and be committed to going back and working on those yeah. steps that lead to that. But by doing that, instead of just going out there and ins- insisting, by golly, I said we're going to work on lead changes today, and that's what we're going to do. But you see, if you, if you want to be that committed to your goal, you got to realize that you're probably going to cause some damages along the way to those very important steps to get there. So what happens if you get there? But then all of your foundation crumbles beneath you because you've chipped away at that confidence that it takes to build on. So it's, it's very important that we, that we have those goals. We set those goals. We work toward those goals as the horse's leader. In other words, we exercise those because all of those exercises leading up to our goal can either establish or demean our role as a, as the horse's leader. You, you see, I, I hope that didn't yeah, no, sound like I think, it got too far yeah, off on a tangent, but no, I think that's I think that's a good point because what I was saying about having a purpose when you go out there or an, or an intention in mind for what you're going to do with the horse, a leader also assesses the situation when they're in it and pivots as needed to deal with you know because you're dealing with a living being here and yeah. and yeah you you're not letting them set the agenda if you have come out there with an intention you see all right we've got a situation here for whatever reason we're going to back up and work on this and we'll you know that that's part of leadership too is being aware of the circumstances aware of the being that you're working with and where they are on that day Hence the name of our podcast, right? Ride Over yeah. Stride. Yeah. In other words, I may, like in my arena, I've got one marker on one end of the arena that's uh, red, another one on the other opposite end of the arena that's blue. And oftentimes I'll get my riders to ride from, ride the red marker to the blue marker. Now, that's their goal. But to get there might be several strides, and I want them to ride every stride until they achieve their goal. Now, if the horse veers off that path at any point in time, they've got to redirect it. That redirection is them asserting themselves as the leader, you see. And that those little bitty things like that establish in a horse's mind, oh, yep, that's right, Van's the leader. Oh, yeah, that's right, Laura's the leader. Oh, yeah, that's right, I just need to do what I'm told because I rank beneath them in the leader. Now, granted, we're partners but somebody in that partnership has to be the leader and the other one has to be the follower. And it sounds great when people say stuff like, oh, well, I want my horse and I to be equal. It sounds good, but the reality is it doesn't work. It, it, it just flat out doesn't work. And I don't even know if it really works in the human world, but I know for a fact that it does not work in the horse world. Because, because everything in their instinct is, there's, is that hierarchy. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So th- that's why they're herd animals. It's not there's a lot of dynamics with that. You know, we all know and we can all appreciate that there's safety in numbers and that's why there's a herd. But at the same time, in that herd, 
there is a huge system going on of, like you said, hierarchy, placement, those types of things make up that herd. And we just need to be aware of it. It's not that big of a deal, but at the same time, it sure can give us a, a leg up on, isn't it funny how we just throw in those cliches? A, a little while ago, I said, you know, behind the reins, and now we're saying leg up. Uh, all of those are horse cliches, people. Um, <laughs> um, but the thing is, is that by knowing as much as we possibly can about the horse and, and what we're working with, that really does give us a huge advantage to understanding them as, as their leader. It, it, I mean, I, I wish I could say more about that, but it, the, the, the biggest issue that I always run across with people who are around horses is that they don't know anything about them. They don't know anything about the horse in general. They don't know their natural behavior. And as a result of knowing so little about them, they struggle with almost everything they ask a horse to do. Uh, In other words, it it just drives me nuts when folks want to come out and they they tell me, hey, Van, we're having some trouble working with, with, uh, I'll just use the thing we used a little while ago, flying lead changes. Can you help me with that? Sure. And I find out that they barely know which end the feed goes in and which end it comes out. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Before, I mean, I, I'm glad that you really want to work on flying lean changes. That's a great goal. But by golly, you gotta you gotta know why horses do what they do. And you, in other words, you gotta understand them a little bit more. You gotta understand their mentality. You gotta understand their physiological aspect. In other words, you gotta know something about the 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 animal that you're working with. The more that you know about it, that empowers you infinitely toward getting your goal achieved. Yeah. To making better decisions for yourself and the horse, which, as you've said, is what establishes you as the leader, if you're the one making the better decisions. Absolutely. I mean, I say that all the time, right? In other words, if you really want to be the horse's leader, just make better decisions on the horse's behalf. And after the while, the horse will just gladly hand you leadership roles. Because, man, I don't know who you are, but, man, I I really like the fact that you make my life easier. So, please, you, you, you take over. And that's a very quiet, subtle way over time to really establish yourself as that horse's leader. It's not by going out there and demanding it and beating the heck out of them or doing whatever that some folks do, but just by very quietly, very consistently over time, making the best decisions on its behalf. And once the horse begins to realize that, wow, I can survive very easily with this one, because that's the key thing we have to realize. Horses live moment to moment to survive the moment. So if we're making that horse's mind at ease in surviving the moment, then as a result, the horse gladly hands us that leadership role. If on the other end of the scale, we're creating anxiety and worry and concern in the horse, the hard part about that is we have to go look in the mirror and realize, oops, I'm my horse's problem. It's not my (laughs) horse, it's me. So what can I do to change me that will hopefully have a positive effect on my horse's view of me? Oh my goodness. And that is, that's like a whole other episode. I, yep. We're going to have to do an episode called I'm my horse's problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that, no, that's really good. There's so much there that we could get into, but then we'd have a two hour episode, which I think could be, you know, a problem for, for some people. <laughs> so, so make a note that we're going to do that episode soon because there's a lot that could be said there. I think you've given us a lot to think about in this episode, Van, a lot of uh, important things to consider about the way we interact with our horses. And and I'm guessing there may be people that have questions uh, because I've got a million of them and I'm 
I'm reining them in <laughs> um, <laughs> so that we can uh, wrap this up. But, but for those who are listening, who maybe have this episode has sparked questions for you, as it has for me, Van loves to answer questions, loves to get those questions, and there are a number of ways that you can share those. You can go to the website at vanhargis.com, and there's a contact form there that you can uh, post questions that will get to Van. You can go to the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page and post a question there. Van watches that and will interact with you there. Uh, if you have a question that maybe you don't want to make public, you can email those to info at vanhargis.com and those do get to Van. He looks at them and either will respond directly to your email or, or may respond in a future episode or maybe both. So certainly reach out with those questions. If you enjoyed this episode, if you're enjoying the show in general, would you help spread the word about Ride Every Stride? Tell a friend who loves horses about the podcast. Show, take their phone away from them and show them how to subscribe to the podcast so that they can get Van's information and wisdom regularly as you do. And, you know, help us, help us grow the community and, and grow the, the conversation about horsemanship and humanship and all the things we talk about on Ride Every Stride. Van, I know we don't have a ton of time to talk about um, calendars. Uh, I encourage folks to visit the website at vanhargis.com regardless uh, there's there's so much stuff there. And among other things, uh, you can see Van's calendar, the schedule of places that he's going to be. You've got a ton of things you're doing in the coming months. Anything in particular you'd like to call out to folks? Um, not not at the moment. I can't really think of anything I'd want to put a lot of emphasis on other than the fact that we're, we still get a lot of questions, Lara, on will, will Van come to our area to do a clinic? And the, the answer to that is emphatically yes. I love to do clinics. I love to go to different venues and do them. Of course, we're going to uh, continue to offer clinics at our home ranch. We we try to keep those a little quieter. We want them those a little bit more intimate, I guess you could say, to where people can come and, and ride with us here at the ranch and I guess spend some more intense time with their horses in a very relaxed type setting. But the reality is we love to go to other venues and, and go to other other locations. Uh, they Anybody interested in us coming to their location and doing a clinic, then we're all they have to do is go to our website or send us an email, and we will direct them very specifically to where to go on our on our uh, website to find out the information they need to do to find uh, to host a clinic in their area. But we really encourage people to continue to do that. We, we've we've got a really full spring, and the majority of our first part of our summer, at least, is full. But at the same time, we still have some opening places for the fall. And the reality is, is that in order to get us to come, sometimes we have to plan ahead. I mean, we're, we're already booking things for 2018. Uh, we've already, we've already got one booking already for 2019, which is way down the way, but we want to encourage folks to reach out to us to get us to come to your own backyard and do those clinics there at, at a facility uh, near you. And it's much easier than what people think it is. It's, it's pretty easy to get us to come out. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's, all we really need is a facility that will allow up to 15 riders, even though I tell people all the time I prefer to keep my clinic small so that we can address all every, every participant's greatest concerns with their horses. So as a result, we want to try to keep those about 10 to 12. I try to have a cutoff at no more than 15. At, at anything over that, and we start robbing from, from all of the participants that are there. And my big deal is I want everybody there to go away as feel as if, 
if they got all their questions answered, at least until the next time. Yeah. Um, but but uh, we, we really want to spend that intimate time with folks at those clinics. So just reach out to us and have us come in your own backyard to do a clinic. Yeah. So if you, you know, if you visit the website, you look at his calendar, you think, well, none of these expos or events are near me. How do I get to ride with him? Well, now you have your answer. Send an email to info at vanhargis.com and they will give you all the deets on how you can have Van come to your community and do a clinic. And uh, I, I think there are still ways that if you put help put a clinic together and help host it, you can ride for free. So, um, you know, there's some benefits to being the host yeah. of a clinic if you jump in there and do that. And sure. uh, while, while you're on the website, don't forget to check out the Top Hand Club. Are there still any charter memberships available? There's, or there's still a few and they're going to go pretty quickly, Laura, because we're going to reach out in a whole, some other promotional type programs very soon. So I, I do encourage folks, if you want to get down on that drop, you know, that drop dead low price of $4.95, uh, per month uh -huh. to, to be in the top hand club, do it quickly. We, we really encourage folks to do that. And we literally have close to a thousand, uh, new videos that we're, we're going to have to start adding on to the deal. Cause we've had some people go and kind of purge and they'll watch every one of them that's on there now. So we've got a boatload that's, that's going to be uploading and continue to upload. And that's an ongoing process. In fact, that we mentioned earlier in this episode, we were in Oregon. The entire time we were in Oregon, we had a video camera going. So every one of the presentations that we did up there was videoed. That stuff will be on the Ride Every Stride uh, Van Hargis Top Pan Club as well. So you, you just can't miss it. But the only way you can miss it is if you don't join the Top Pan Club. Yeah. So don't wait. Uh, the price is going to go up. And, and uh, once they fill up the, the charter membership, ranks. Uh, it's going to go up. Uh, but if you join now, it, your your membership rate will stay at $4.95 a month for as long as you stay a member. So we won't beat that beat that horse to death. But um, <laughs> definitely check that out while you're on the website at vanhargis.com. And I think that's pretty much it. Van, any last words? I can't think of a thing other than, again, it, there's there's nothing that makes my heart feel more than when we go to, a, to an expo such as the one we just did up in Oregon. We're going to to Canada very soon uh, to do a, a big event up there called the main event. And um, it, it really fills my heart and just makes me feel like we're, we're doing the right thing uh, when people walk up to me and say, Van, we love your podcast. So with that, I just want to say to, to everybody that's listening, thank you so much for listening to Ride Over Stride. And as Laura said earlier, please share that with other people. Um, it, it's, it's a great blessing to us. And it feels as if from the responses that we're getting that it's encouraging and, and helping other people as well. So with that said, a huge thank you to those folks. And please share it with other folks. But Laura, I guess that would be it. So I just want to remind everybody that until next time, this is Van Hargis with Ride Over Stride. And remember, it's your ride, your trail. It's your journey, so ride every stride.